0: Good to see each and every one of you this morning. It's thankful to be here in the house of the Lord. We're thankful for the public prayer that has been offered. Thankful to have Tim Sister Becky with us today here in service here in Lubbock. I'd <clears throat> like this morning the Lord to bless us for a little while to talk to you a little bit about killing giants. And specifically, I want to look at one giant killer. Now, when I say a giant killer, I'm not meaning a killer that's a giant, but one who kills giants. And I want to start in Numbers chapter 13. In Numbers chapter 13, the situation of Israel as they had come out of the promise, uh, come out of bondage in Egypt. They had been by Mount Sinai, and they were traveling toward the promised land. And they got to the southern end of the promised land, and Moses, at the Lord's commands, sends 12 men into the promised land to spy out the land. Now, I want to read you the names. This is here in Numbers chapter 13. I want to read you the name of 10 of them. Now, there were 12 of them that were sent in, but I just want you to listen to the names of 10 as I go through this, and I want you to try to remember if you've heard anything about them, if anything about their name rings any bells with you. All right, Shamua, Shaphat, Agel, Palti, Gadiel, Gaddai, Amiel, Seether, Nabi, and Gaul. Anybody ever heard of those ten people before? Don't ring any bells, does it? You know why? Well, we're going to look at that here in a minute. Alright? I'm going to keep you in suspense just a tad bit. That's ten of them that you probably don't think about too often. But of the twelve, there was two of them whose names I didn't mention. Let me see if you've heard of these. Caleb and Joshua. Now, There's a very good reason that we hear of those two and nothing of the other ten. And if you'll think for just a moment, when the children of Israel came out of their bondage in Egypt, we are told that there was about 600,000 men besides the women and children that came out of Egypt. Of those 600,000 men, how many of them got to enter in to the promised land? Two. Joshua and Caleb. Only two. Out of 600,000. Well that's amazing isn't it? So let's look at this just a little bit. To see why that happened. Why that Joshua and Caleb. Two of the spies. Are the only ones. Of the children of Israel. That were grown men over 20 years of age. When they left Egypt. That got to enter into the promised land. All right. Now, these messengers went in. They saw the land. Um, so if you look here in verse 21, it says, So they went up, speaking of these 12 spies, and searched the land from the wilderness of Zen unto Rehob. Uh, they ascended by the south, came to Hebron, where Ahim, Shishai, Talmai, and the children of Anak were. Now, Anak, remember Anak. He's going to be real important here in just a minute. You know why Anak's important? He's a giant. <laughs> he's a giant. Which way we mean he's a giant? I mean like 10 foot tall. <laughs> that kind of a giant. Maybe up to 13 foot tall. And he had a bunch of kids, and they were giants. And that's going to be very important as we go through this story. And they came to the brook, verse 23, they came to the brook of Eshcol and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes and they bare it between two upon a staff and they brought the pomegranates and of the figs. Now just imagine how big those grapes were. You know, I've had some clusters of grapes that are like this big. I've seen pictures of them this big. I ain't ever seen... A cluster of grapes, one cluster that I couldn't carry. But here in the promised land, the land of milk and honey has been described in the scriptures that God had blessed it so well that one man couldn't carry this cluster of grapes. And they had to fix it from a from a a, a big branch, a, a staff, and carry it uh, between two men as they went back to the camp. Now They were in that land for 40 days. 40 days they were in the land, spying it out. You ever notice that number 40 in the scriptures? The number 40 is a time of testing and trials. Now, we're going to see here in just a little bit, Lord willing, they were in the land for 40 days, spying it out. Later, they spent 40 years, In the wilderness. Now, they came back after 40 days. In verse 26, they come to Moses and to Aaron, to the children of Israel. And verse 27 says, They told him and said, We came unto the land where thou sendest us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. And I'm sure at that point they held up that big cluster of grapes and the pomegranates and the figs that they had brought back. It all sounds pretty good so far, doesn't it? Now notice additional part of this report from the promised land. Verse 29, excuse me, verse 28. Nevertheless, now when you see nevertheless, that's not a good thing. Uh, You know, you get something good and somebody says, nevertheless, or they say something good and then they say, but, uh, it's not good. So here's what the not good part is. From the 12 spies, well, excuse me, 10 of the 12 spies. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land. The cities are walled and very great. Moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Remember what we said about Anak? They're giants. He said there are giants in the land. The cities are walled. There's giants protecting the land. People are great. Verse 29, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. What these ten spies were saying Yeah, this land is good, flows with milk and honey. But we don't have a chance of conquering this land. We don't have a chance. There's giants. The cities are walled. We don't have the ability to go up and conquer. That's what 10 of them said. Now, I really, really like the response to all of this of Caleb. Now, Caleb... He was a man of great faith. You know, in one way, I'm kind of interested to know why that Caleb is not listed anywhere over in Hebrews chapter 11 in that great chapter on faith, you know, with Abraham and Isaac and Moses and all. I, I, I read the account of, of, of Caleb here, and I wonder why he's not there. But at any rate, notice how Caleb says, here's Caleb. Here's a report that's been given. You know, the cities are great. They're walled. There's giants protecting them. All these people there, their armies are big and great. Notice what Caleb says here in verse 30. It says, Caleb stilled the people before Moses, and he said, let's go up at once. Let's go up at once and possess it, for for we are well able to overcome it. Now, that's kind of brash, isn't it? I mean, here you got all these big walled cities. You know, they didn't have the cannons to knock the walls down. They didn't have all the the weapons to deal with these big cities. They didn't have the uh, the body armor and all the weapons to defeat those big ten foot tall giants. And Caleb said, "Let's go. What are we waiting for?" Let's get up and take over the land. I think he had this, I think he was this weird, strange opinion that God was going to fight the battle for him. That with God's help, he could do anything. I kind of get that indication from Caleb, don't you? Now, verse 31. So here's Joshua and Caleb. They're saying, okay, we can go do it. Here's the other ten. Verse 31, but the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Verse 33, there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. You know. Those ten spies that brought the evil report, they said, these guys are so big and strong, uh, we're just like a grasshopper to a normal man. Uh, Doesn't sound like those ten thought they had much of a chance of success, does it? Now notice what happened. And you'll see this in the world today. Here there there were 12 men that go up, Two of them give a good report, ten of them gives an evil report. Y'all know which group was right, don't you? The minority. This is one of the reasons that I don't pay attention to polls. Uh, In fact, if you go through the scriptures, just about every single time that there's a public opinion poll, it's wrong. Uh, and it was here but notice the response of the people here are 10 spies that give a false report because see we know with God's help the children of Israel could conquer anybody but 10 of them were weak in the faith they didn't trust God and they gave this evil report. and there's no way we can win And look what response it made in the people of that nation, this great number of people, the Israelites. In chapter 14, verse 1, it says, And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. Sounds like despair in, in all the dwelling place of Israel, doesn't it? And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses, And against Aaron and against the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we died in the land of Egypt? Or would God that we had died in this wilderness? Wherefore hath the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and our children should be prey. The people said, we're all going to die. And our our wives and our children are going to be a prey. For these people that we tried to defeat and they came and they killed us and conquered us. Now, when it says in there that our children are going to be a prey, that's going to be important. They thought their children was going to be a prey to those in Canaan's land. And we're going to see here later on that it was exactly the opposite. Exactly. The opposite. Now you think about all the children of Israel that are here hearing this report of the giants and of the cities and the the impossibility in their mind of winning the battle. And they had despair. Wailing and weeping and crying. I want to ask you a question. In this world that we live in, Today, how many of us are tempted to be just like the children of Israel? Oh, there's just no way that our nation's gonna continue. There's no way that the church is gonna be able to prosper and thrive. You know, we're about to lose our religious freedoms, and we're about to have all these problems. You know, and our churches are just dying and won't be too many years. Won't even be a church left. It's all on and on. We have a habit of being that way, don't we? Just like the children of Israel. In verse 6, it says, Joshua, the son of Nun. Oh, and by the way, Joshua, you know which one of the 12 tribes he came from? Judah excuse me, Joshua, Joshua the son of Nun, he was from Ephraim, Caleb was from the tribe of Judah, all right, now they rent their clothes, and notice what they said to the people, verse 7 and 8, the land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land. There's some faith for you. If the Lord delights in us. Now, what the children of Israel should have realized at that point, that they did, uh, that they were a delight in God's eyes. God did delight in those people. That's why he brought them out of Egypt. That's why that he parted the waters of the Red Sea for them. That's the reason he gave them manna in the wilderness. That's the reason he gave them quails in the wilderness to eat because he did delight in them. And he didn't delight in them because of how good they were, how righteous they were, how obedient they were. He gave them all those blessings because he delighted in them and he loved them. And you and I today, can say with Caleb that the Lord delights in us. Do you all believe that this morning? Does the Lord delight in you and I this morning? Yes, he does. You know why he delights in you this morning? Does he delight in you because you're a righteous people? Because you're better than anybody else in town? that that you've done all these wonderful works and done all these great things for God, is that why God delights in you? No. He delights in you because he loves you. So if God delights in you because of his great love, we need to trust in God and believe in him. Now, Caleb told the people, he said, don't rebel against the Lord. You know what the congregation did when he said that? Uh, we see this in society today. We don't like what this fella is saying. I'm paraphrasing this. It's not in the scriptures. We don't like what this feller Caleb is saying, so we're going to take up stones and execute him. That's what they did. You can look at in verse 10. That's what they were doing. They were going to execute him. They were going to stone him with stone till he died. You know, somebody doesn't agree with you, let's just kill him. We'll fix this problem. We see that in, in, in the world today, very common, don't we? If, if you don't agree with somebody, you silence them, whatever it takes. You know, the same way with the, with the, with the chief priest and the, the Jews in Christ's time. They didn't agree with him and what he said and what he preached, so what did they try to do? They tried to silence him. Now, Lord was not happy. Lord was not happy at all with the people. He was ready to take them into the promised land. He was ready to bless them to conquer that people. And then I'm going to skip down here to verse uh, 22. Here's the Lord in his response. He says because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt. Women, y'all remember how many miracles we call them plagues that were in Egypt? Y'all remember how many of those there were? 10. And in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times. Isn't that interesting? They saw all these miracles, all those miracles that God had performed for them. And did it cause them to walk in a holy and righteous path? No. No. They rebelled. Have you ever been guilty of that? Have you ever been guilty of saying, you know, Lord, I would be willing to walk and step out on faith if you just give me this great sign that I see that I know you're there. You know, if you'll just do this where it's plain and clear in my mind, I'll walk in the way you want me to. I think we're tempted to do that often, aren't we? We want to see a special sign, a special work. These people had seen it, and it still didn't do them any good, did it? Now, verse 23, Surely they shall not see the land which I swore under their fathers. Earlier I mentioned the fact that of those 600,000 people that left Egypt, of the men that were over 20, only two entered the promised land. Here's why. Because they rebelled against God. He said, Surely they shall not see the land. Verse 24, he said, But my servant Caleb, here's somebody's gonna get to see it. My servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him. I bring into the land wherein he went and his seed shall possess it he had another spirit he had a godly spirit the people had a an evil spirit of unbelief but Caleb had a spirit of trusting in God and the Lord said he's followed me fully and he's going to go in <clears throat> now um, verse 31 but your little ones this is still the Lord speaking but your little ones which he said should be a prey you know that multitude that heard the, herd, you know, the herd to report and they believed that evil report that said our children's going to be a prey he said your little ones which he said should be a prey them will I bring in and they shall know the land which ye have despised. Now I want you to think about something for just a moment. The children of Israel, when they left Egypt and they got to the shores of the Red Sea, they saw the salvation of the Lord. And the waters of the Red Sea went back on either side made them a passage through. All of those men, and when I say men 20 years old and older, All of those men that saw that before they get to the Jordan River to cross into the Promised Land are dead. So the men then, the ones that are 20 years and older, at that point, when they get ready to cross into into the Promised Land, those men were not the ones that have seen the Red Sea open up. Now, they may have been there as children, but they weren't men. And then at the Red Sea, excuse me, at the Jordan River, do you remember what happened when they, they got to the Jordan River? When the priest's feet touched the water, the waters that said of the Jordan River piled up as a heap, and the children of Israel crossed across on dry land, just like the crossing of the Red Sea. Now, back to our account here. All right? Verse thirty-three, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your ordens and your shall your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness after the number of days in which ye search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities. I imagine some of those people thought, Why did those spies have to spend forty days? Couldn't I just spent two or three days? You know. Forty days turned into 40 years in the wilderness for these people. You know, sometimes in our lives we see that, don't we? Disobedience for a few days turns into years of misery. Now, here's something else that happened. Here was a plague that came upon the people. Verse 37 Even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, live still. Now, you remember those 10 10 evil spies, 10, 10 spies of evil reports, they all died. That's the reason we didn't hear anything about them anymore in the scriptures, because they died. That's a pretty good reason for not hearing anything about what happened, you know, what they did later, because they're dead. Only two were allowed to live. Now, I want to turn over at this point to the book of Joshua. I want to go to Joshua chapter 14, and let's get a little bit more specific about Caleb the giant killer of the tribe of Judah. <clears throat> Let's begin in verse 6, Joshua 14. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kinsite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God concerning me and thee and Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses' servant the Lord sent me in. Now, let me paraphrase this a little bit to save time. When the 12 spies went in, and Caleb was one of them, he saw Mount Horeb. He saw saw the land that he wanted. And the sons of Anak were there. You know, those that everybody's afraid of. And when they got back to Moses, you know what Caleb asked? He asked Moses a favor. He said, Moses, I want a favor. What is it, Caleb? I want Horeb. You think about that? He wanted the land where the giants were. He wanted that land. He liked that land. Giants are there, so what? So what? What? I want that land. That's what I want for my inheritance. He was 40 years old when he told that, and Moses promised it to him. And then he said now, verse 10, Now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these 40 and 5 years. So Caleb is now 85 years old. And at age 85, I don't know how many people here this morning that are 85 years old or older, But if there is any here, are you ready to go out and kill a 10-foot giant? Now, one of the things that Caleb said, said, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. Now, that's good. I mean, I would like to be in as good a health at age 85 as I was at age 40. I know that ain't going to happen. You know why? Because... I'm 60, and I'm not near like I was at age 40. You say, well, but, but Caleb was the same strength as he had in 40, so he was ready to go out and kill the giants. He had that special blessing from God. No, he didn't. It wasn't because of having that same amount of strength. Let me illustrate it this way. I'm going to get in a fist fight with a guy that is 10 foot tall, okay? I'm 5'8", eight. Okay? I'm going to get in a fist fight with a guy that's 10 foot tall, and he's big and muscled up, he's got an attitude, and he knows what he's doing in a fight, and so I'm going to go into a battle with him, it don't make any difference whether I'm 40 or 80 or 100 or 120, I ain't going to win that battle in my own strength, y'all agree with that? I mean, I'm going to have to have help. I'm going to have to have the Lord's help if I win that battle. So even though Caleb had that same strength at age 85 that he had at age 40, he still needed the Lord's help to win his battles. And he knew it. He knew he needed the strength. He said in verse 12, give me the mountain then. Give me the mountain where the Anakims are. The cities that are great and fenced, and if so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. So Joshua, Moses, as we know, has already died at this point. Turned everything over to Joshua. Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb Hebron for an inheritance. Now. I like what it says. I'm not going to turn to it. It's over in Judges chapter 1 in verse 20. Here Caleb goes up against battle into Hebron against the three sons of Anak and all those people. And over in Judges chapter 1 in verse 20, you know what it says about Caleb? He expelled them. That's all it says. He expelled them. You know what that really means? He kicked them out. He run them out of town. I mean, little old Caleb that was about my size probably. That's the general size of the Israelites at that time. You know, little old 5'8 Caleb, run those giants out of the country. Why? How was he able to do that? Because he had faith in God. And he knew. He could defeat the giants with God's help. So Caleb was a giant killer. Now I want to take you down in history for a couple of hundred years later on in time. And let's stay within the tribe of Judah. And we're going to see another giant killer come from the tribe of Judah. You know who that is? Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus Christ was from the tribe of Judah. And let me tell you this morning that Jesus Christ was a giant killer. You say, well, what kind of giants did Christ kill? You know, you could think about the easy things. You know, Christ came up against the establishment You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees against the religious establishment. That was a giant. He killed it. He came up against the Roman government that had enslaved the nation of Israel at that time. He defeated them. And then he went to battle against Satan. Would you call Satan a giant? I would. Satan is stronger than you are. He's smarter than you are. He has more zeal and passion for what he's doing than you do. He's a giant. You and I have no hope of defeating that giant without help. But Jesus Christ defeated him. When Satan thought that he had won the battle at Calvary, it wasn't a victory for Satan. It was his ultimate defeat. Jesus Christ was the giant killer. But there's even something bigger that Jesus Christ killed. What was it that could be bigger than that? I want to talk to you about something that's humongous. I want to talk about something that's a humongous, horribly big, beyond imagination uh, giant. What is that? Your sins and my sins. When Jesus Christ was there on the cross and he suffered during that time of darkness, those three hours there upon the cross, he defeated the guilt of your sins and my sins. He defeated that giant. And because he defeated that giant, you and I can live in immortal glory with our God forever and ever. Now, we have a great example of giant killers. Caleb is a wonderful example of a giant killer. And not even speaking of Christ being a giant killer because he was God, but Caleb was a giant killer. And I want to ask you this morning, what kind of a giant killer are you? Are you ready to kill some giants today? What kind of giants do we face in our lives? Now, if we're going to have if we're going to have victory against the giants, we've got to be just like Caleb, knowing that the Lord delights in us, knowing that if the Lord uh, will bless us and be with us, that we can kill any giant that we come across. What kind of giants do you face in your life? Now, some people say, well, I've got cancer, I've got a heart problem, I've got diabetes, I've got this or that. So if I have enough faith, that means I can defeat that that disease and it'll go away. Now, let me be clear here. I want you to realize something. Every one of us today is going to die. Now, The Lord may come back before we die, and that's okay, too. Actually, that's more than okay. That's what I'd prefer. You know, any time's fine with me. But if the Lord doesn't come back, we're all going to die of something. So the Lord's not saying uh, that that you're a giant of disease I'm going to take away, but you know what is a giant? How you respond to cancer or to heart problems, or to diabetes, or whatever it may be physically. How do you respond? How do you respond to that? You have wailed a gnashing of teeth and say, why me, why me, why me? I don't know how many of you remember Brother Richard Trimble. He was a member here for a number of years, a deacon for a few years. He had moved in from another church. After Brother Richard had been here, I don't know, five or six years, he's got word. That he had cancer, had brain cancer. I think it's brain cancer. Doctors gave him six months to live. Doctors are right. He didn't make it that long. But I can remember what Brother Richard said when he got that report. They asked him, "How are you going to take all this?" He said, "I'm going to take it like a man." And he did. He didn't wail, gnash teeth. He said, "I've got it, Lord." That's how the Lord wants me to go. I'm going to keep the faith and take it like a man. And he did. He kept the faith. He responded with faith. How are you when you face these giants? When you face a giant of disappointment, whether it's financially or in in your business or, or a relationship, how do you take that giant? You just give up, blame somebody else. Woe is me, woe is me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll just go out and eat worms. Is that kind of response that you're going to have? That can be a giant. We need to be a giant killer. Say, Lord, you're still on the throne. You're still in charge. And things didn't work out like I wanted. But Lord, you're in control. So bless me to remain faithful to you and your word. You know what you've just done if you can do that? You've just killed a giant. Now, as been mentioned over the last several years, especially in the last six months or so, we've been facing giants. There's giants we've been facing in our land. a disease, economic problems. We see our so-called freedoms being taken away and I'm kind of of the opinion people talk about the freedom that we have in this land. I like for people to think about uh, the lack of freedom that we have in this land. You know, uh, I can't drive a car without permission from the government. Uh, I can't even put my car on the highway without permission of the government. Uh, I can't change a a light fixture in my house without permission from the government. I can't build a house on my own land without permission from the government. I can't drill a water well on my own land without permission from the government. Anyhow, don't get me started on that. But it's getting ready to get worse. Maybe. We're losing our freedoms. We see it all the time. Lawsuits against people who stand up for the word of God. Proposals by our government today tell us there's things that if we say that this scripture says, we are going to be imprisoned. We're going to be persecuted. Is that clear? It's already happening. It's already happening from time to place to place in this nation. Those are Giants. Well, how are we going to kill this giant? I don't mean are we going to make everything just all rosy and perfectly and everybody acts just like godly people. You know why that ain't going to happen? Because not everybody's a child of God. Evil's present in this world. There's a lot of evil. But how are we going to... What is this giant? The giant is not what's happening in the world today. The giant that we're facing is how you and I Respond to it. Are you ready to take on that giant today? Are you ready to defeat this giant of fear and worry about the future? And I've, I've mentioned this before, but in my paycheck that I get every few weeks, which I'm real thankful for, it, I don't mind working because it's a lot better than being unemployed. Uh-huh. but in my paycheck, there's this, there's this dollar amount on there with a negative sign in front of it. You know, it says it's a negative, and they're taking all this money out of my paycheck for a retirement account. And so once a month, I get a piece of mail that says, all right, that little dollar amount's adding up and adding up and adding up, and this is how much is in it. This is how much you got in this retirement account. Everybody is trying to build up as big a number in their account as they can. You know what the truth of the matter is? And this is the way I feel about it. God is going to take care of me and provide for me and give me what I need, not necessarily what I want, but what I need with that piece of paper or without that piece of paper. God's going to take care of me. That's how we defeat the giant. Oh, there's all kinds of giants in our world today. Fear, worry, all kinds of giants. But you and I are beloved of God. And because God loves us, we can be a giant killer. Let's strive to have faith in God Caleb, and go down in history as a giant killer. May God bless you.